for Jesus to be alive. None of the disciples, they were in a place of absolute heartbreak and mourning. And and so today we're going to look at John chapter 20. While there's great accounts in all the Gospels, I love John chapter 20 because we see Mary's story. And, and we'll kind of, kind of fill in some of the blanks, but um, I was telling Doug before church that, uh, man, I, I can't read John chapter 20, especially the interaction between Jesus and Mary, without getting choked up. It is so moving to me, because he takes her from this place of absolute despair and heartbreak, and in an instant, it's all gone, when she realizes that he is alive. So, let's pray one more time. And we'll look at John chapter 20. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that today we get to celebrate you are alive. That you have conquered our sin. You have paid for our sin. And you have conquered death to prove that all of the work was done. Lord, because you are alive, we also will live in you. And we look forward to the day of being with you in heaven. But today, we, uh, we just want you to have your way in this place. We want you to speak to our hearts through your word. Holy Spirit, we give you full reign to do a work in us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to start verse 1 of John chapter 20. It says, Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple, and when they were going to the tomb, um, and so both of them ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he stooped down and looking in, saw the linen cloth lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb and saw the linen cloth lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, whom had come to the tomb first, went in also and saw and believed. For as of yet... They did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. And then the disciples went away again to their own homes. Now, if you put all the the gospels together, you get a very full picture of that morning. And so John is only focused on Mary. So he doesn't give every single detail. But if you look at the other uh, gospels, what we find is that, just as John tells us, before the sun rose early that Sunday morning, Mary, along with other women, there was at least four, there may have been even more than that, went to the tomb. Um, But they did not go there with any hope. They weren't going there to see if Jesus had risen. They were actually going there to complete the burial process. They fully expected to find Jesus in the tomb. And even as they were going there having the discussion of of what are we going to do about the stone? It's so heavy. How are we going to move it in order to finish this burial process? Um, But but before they arrive, 
an angel appears, rolls the stone away, and the guards that had been set over the tomb to make sure that nobody stole the body of Jesus, uh, they just freeze and fall as dead men. What's funny to me about that is they're never mentioned again. So I don't know if they fell in the, in the bushes or like if they woke up at some point and scrambled off, but we're told that they froze, they fell as dead men, and no one ever like walks by them and goes, what's up with them? You know, they're just, they're gone. They're off the scene. Then Mary, the others show up and they find that the tomb is opened. The stone has been rolled away. Now John tells us is at that point, Mary runs. She doesn't investigate. And again, it's still before the sun has risen. So it's dark. She can't see what's in the tomb. She doesn't go in. She doesn't investigate. She runs to go find Peter and John. Well, the other women stay there. And they're met by the angel who tells them, hey, why are you seeking the living among the dead? Jesus has arisen. Go tell the others. And, and somehow Mary and Peter and John miss them passing going back to the tomb. And again, just, this is all just to kind of give us an idea of what was taking place that whole time. But again, John's focus is on Mary and on her story. So she runs off to find Peter and John, not in a hopeful way, not that hoping some miracle has taken place, not to possibly deliver good news. She's terrified of what has happened. And you can hear the, the desperation and the dread in verse 2 when she tells them they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Sure, she was thinking something to the effect of grave robbers, which were common. Maybe the Romans had done something. Maybe the religious leaders had done something. It really doesn't matter. The idea is that it is a horrible violation. I mean, we can't even imagine something like that in our day. If a loved one had been laid to rest and we found that they had been dug up or something horrible, it's just like it turns your stomach to think about it. It was even more so in their day. It was a horrible, horrible violation. And so Peter and John, uh, they hear this and they run off. They run to the tomb. And John arrives first, but he doesn't enter. Uh, verse 5 says that he stooped down, looking in, he saw the cloths lying th there, but did not go in. Why didn't he just go in? Again, it could have been possibly out of respect. It could have been the fear of ceremonially and being ceremonially unclean by going into a tomb. But, but I think we, again, need to remember they weren't looking for Jesus to be alive. They weren't going there hoping for a miracle either. In fact, the closest uh, resemblance would be that they're going to investigate a crime. So they go to this tomb, and it's shocking what's taking place, that the tomb is open. And I think John just froze at the entrance of the tomb, that now the sun has risen, and they can see inside the tomb, and he sees the cloth that was wrapped around Jesus, lying there. Jesus' body is gone. I think it's just the terror of what he might find. It's a horrible scene if you don't know what's happened. Now, Peter, being a man of action, he shows up a little bit late. I do think it's funny that John makes the mention that he got there first. We were both running, but I got there first. <laughs> I always picture Peter being kind of a big, 
strong, lumbering fisherman, you know, and easily outrun by John. Uh, Peter shows up, and he just goes in. Again, just a man of action. Um, and again, the, the description that's given to us, we lose a little bit in the translation, and I think it's important we understand what they saw, at least the way it's described to us, um, because it does give you a clear indication something amazing has happened. But to understand the description, we need to understand the burial process a little bit. So in the Hebrew culture, uh, when somebody died and what they did with Jesus was that common way is that they first wrapped the body in a sheet. And it would be wrapped tightly, and it would be all the way around them. And then they would take these linen strips, and they would bind it even tighter around the body. And then they would begin to pour an anointing oil of myrrh and aloe and other things on top of that. And they would completely saturate the cloth over and over again. And again, that's what the ladies were actually going to the tomb to do to perform that one last anointing for Jesus' burial. But with each layer, it would harden into the fabric. And so the idea of like unwrapping someone was impossible. The fabric just would have shredded. It would have come off in chunks. Um, and so I think often as we hear the description, we kind of picture the burial cloth all nicely folded into nice little piles there on the place where Jesus had been laid. And that's actually not the description that's given. In the original language, it's much clearer. The idea is that it is a shell that is now empty. The body simply disappeared. Jesus removed himself. And now there's this collapsed shell and that's why they're looking at it with such terror and dread. What does this mean? Now, the, the handkerchief or the, the cloth that would be wrapped around his head, it was kept separate from the rest. It wasn't anointed with all of those materials and everything. And it was just like a, a cloth of honor that the people performing the burial would have taken special care with. And Jesus has taken care with it to set it off to the side. Again, I don't know exactly why, but if we get this whole scene and why they're looking in and why there's such shock about it, and that when John enters, it says he believed, right? Because he's not just looking at some folded laundry going, well, somebody took Jesus and they folded the laundry. He's looking at the shell of, of almost of a mummy that's there's no one inside anymore. Now, it says that John believed in verse 8, but we're not told what he believed. And I don't think John knew what he believed, because again, he's the writer of this. He's giving us the information here. And so he's saying, I walked in and I believed. He believed something had taken place, something amazing had happened. But he makes a note right after that in verse 9 that it wasn't the resurrection. He wasn't believing that Jesus had raised from the dead, because he says in verse 9, for they, speaking of John and himself, did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Now, there's a couple of scriptures in the Old Testament that point to Jesus resurrecting from the dead, but probably the greatest 
uh, is Psalm 16. And, and it, it's good for us to know that because I have already heard a couple times this year people make posts or, you know, Jesus, there's no scripture in the Old Testament that Jesus was supposed to rise from the dead. Oh, yes, there is. <laughs> and Psalm 16 is really clear. Uh, verse 10 says this, For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, or hell, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. While David spoke that about himself, it was prophetic of the Messiah. And as a proof text that it was prophetic, is that when Peter, in Acts chapter 2, and I do think it's interesting, Peter's right there at the tomb, and and John is as well, but when Peter is preaching in Acts chapter 2, he points to Psalm 16 and goes, we know that wasn't about David. We know right where David's at. Yeah, he's, his body is still in the grave. David was speaking about Jesus, that he would rise from the dead. Now the boys, again, they don't know what's happened. Peter believes, or uh, John believes something. Peter, he's still in a bad place at this point. He hasn't had his meeting with Jesus yet. And so they go home. They don't know what to do. They leave Mary there at the tomb weeping. So verse 11 says, But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down, and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting one at the head and the other at the feet of where the body of Jesus had lain. And when they saw her, they said, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not, do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which, mean, which is to say, Teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, and to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Again, here as we get Mary's focus, I I, I also see how focused she is, that she will not be detoured. Again, she thinks this horrible event has, has taken place. Somebody's robbed Jesus' body, and she takes full responsibility on herself to make things right, whatever it costs. Again, Peter and John have left. She didn't ask him to stay. She is going to do what is right for the Lord as much as she can. But we also see Jesus' great compassion toward her, meeting her in this very personal way. Um, Mary looks into the tomb, and she sees two angels, one at the feet of where Jesus was and one up by where his head was. Now, this is a side note, but I think it's very cool that if you go all the way back to the Old Testament, 
the construction of the temple and the construction of the Ark of the Covenant, the lid on the covenant was called the mercy seat. And there placed on the mercy seat where the blood of the sacrifice would be sprinkled on either side is an angel. Picturing this very event that Mary sees here. Where this perfect sacrifice was laid. Now an angel on either side. And they ask, woman, why are you weeping? If I'm honest, it's at this point I would have been completely distracted. Angels? I mean, seriously, if you were looking in the tomb, there's angels there. And they're talking to me. And, and in no way does she think they're responsible or they have something to do with it. She just answers their question. And it, it shows us how focused she is. Nothing is going to take her off track of looking for the body of Jesus. And she just says, because they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. And it's almost like, I don't have time for you guys. Now, it's cool, your angels, right on, I'm busy, right? <laughs> and she turns around, and there's Jesus. But she doesn't realize that it's him. Now, there's a couple of details that we know. We know that she's been crying. And it doesn't help to have tears in your eyes. You certainly can't see very well. You can't pick out details. We know that the sun is shining into the tomb is how John was able to see in there so clearly. And now she turns and so she's facing into the sun. So it's hard to see. But more than all of that, Jesus is the last person she expected to talk to. She's not looking for Jesus to be alive. And so he asks, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Now, the funny thing to me is, he knows. He knows how heartbroken she is. He knows why she's there, why she's weeping, that she's looking for him. And it's not in some cruel, twisted way that he's messing with her, but I do believe that he's like, oh man, you are about to get such a surprise, right? You have no idea. And he knows it's going to happen so fast, right? We hear her desperation. Again, Lord, in verse 15, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Again, Mary is saying, look, I will go and carry away the dead body of a full-grown man all by myself to make all this right. And then, in this personal way, like I say, gosh, I get choked up every time I, I just think about it. Because... We all know that when someone you love says your name in a loving and kind way, it strikes to your soul. Nobody can imitate that. Nobody can try and fool you with that. It's their voice and the resonance of it and the kindness behind it that when they say your name, it's like nothing else. And Jesus just says her name. And in that moment, she knows he is alive. And he's standing right in front of her. Now, she shouts out Rabboni, which is, it's not just teacher, it's like loving teacher. It's a, it's a very, it's, it's a phrase of great affection towards a teacher. And Jesus' response it, it's 
a little bit surprising, and I think it's because we just misunderstand what's happening here. And I've even heard people misteach this and, and come up with things. In verse 17, he says, do not cling to me, which is, seems weird, right? Jesus is like, it's me. Don't touch me, right? And you know, I just picture Mary like, what, 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 what? You know, that's not what's happening here at all. He says, do not cling to me. King James Version is even stronger. It says, don't touch or touch me not, um, for I've not ascended to my father. Now, the misunderstanding is, is that somehow if Mary were to touch Jesus at this point, she'd make him unclean, or he's got to somehow complete his ascension to God before anybody can touch him. Again, that's not what's taking place here. We know right after this, John's going to record where Jesus tells uh, Thomas, here, touch my hands, touch my side. There's nothing about that where he's like, no, don't touch me. It's clearer in the Greek, because in the Greek, what Jesus is saying is, stop clinging to me. So the, here's the scene. She sees it's Jesus. She shouts out, Rabboni, throws her arms around him. With the idea of, I'm not letting you go anywhere. And he tells her, I'm not going anywhere. I, I'm not ascending yet. I'm right here, Mary. I'm not going to leave you. That's what's taking place. Again, it's not a break in that tenderness that he shows when he says her name. It's a continuation of it. He's reassuring her, I'm not, I'm not leaving yet. Now, he tells her, go and tell the disciples. Go and tell my brethren, say to them, I am ascending to my father and to yours. And to my God and to your God. This is the statement that he's telling her, all the work's done. Everything's completed. It's not just my God, my Father. He's your Father and your God. The relationship has been renewed. I've completed all of it. Go and tell them that the work is done. And she does. And so do the other women who are at the tomb. And the disciples think they're crazy. Again, if you want to put the whole story together, they don't hear it and go, what? That's great news. They hear it and go, they've lost their minds. It says that the words that they spoke seemed like crazy talk is kind of the direct translation of how they say it. And so Jesus will meet each one of them right where they're at. He meets those on the road to Emmaus. He meets Thomas in his doubt. He meets the other disciples, and he meets Peter personally there on the shore to tell him, you're still one of mine, Peter, and I've got a job for all of you. And what I love about that and what I love about the Easter story is not just the, the amazing miracle of, of Jesus paying our price and conquering death. It's the person of his character that he chooses to meet each person right where they're at in their doubt in their fear in their questions and that's still what he does he still wants to meet each and every one of us right where we're at this morning doesn't matter if we've been walking with the lord for 50 years or whether we've never had a relationship with jesus at all he wants to meet us right where we are in our doubt in our fear and I encourage you, 
So usually this is the point where I would ask everybody, you know, bow your heads and raise your hands if you want to accept Jesus, if you've never accepted Jesus before. But I feel like the Lord wants to do something different than that today. If you have questions, if you have doubts, understand he wants to meet you right where you're at. And he wants to use the people that are in your life. You can come and talk to me after service or anytime, but if you don't know Jesus and you're here today, you know someone who knows Jesus. Talk to them. Ask those questions. Be honest with where you're at. And give your life to him. If you have been walking with the Lord for a long time and you're just in a place where, yeah, I've got questions, I've got doubts, there's things that I'm not sure about, and, and I feel like my faith is so weak right now, Instruction is the same. Talk to somebody that loves Jesus. Be honest about where you're at with your doubt, your fear, and your questions. And let Jesus do a miracle. Revive your faith. Let's pray. God, thank you for your resurrection power. That, Lord, not only have you conquered,